0: Okay, balls, 750 milliliter bottle of rum. Welcome to the Velocity Podcast, a study in monology. This is your Grumpy Uncle Peter. He will say words at you. Two weeks ago on Velocity Podcast, I talked about how the Microsoft experiment of the four day work week would not expand into other industries as well because there were too many sort of bits of missing information. Uh, I was talking about how they were talking primarily probably about programmers and how a four-day workweek might work better for them, but it might not work in other industries. A lot of people sent me messages saying like, you just don't want a four-day work week, You're kind of a, a jerk about it. Uh, the jerk part, I accept. But what I really wanted was a clear explanation of the elements of that experiment, what they measured and how they measured the results, and how it could be projected onto other industries successfully. So that's where all my issues came from, that what they were doing was an experiment and it was very successful in their area, in their, with their criteria. And people were saying, because this was successful, it would be successful elsewhere, but that is absolutely not how science or these sort of experiments work. You would need an individualized experiment to replicate the results for almost every industry. Now, I am very pro four-day work week. I would love to have another day off. I think that'd be great. But that doesn't mean you blindly accept stuff because that's how you get people walking around saying, I hate the word moist. And this is maybe something I did a few years ago on the of podcast. But there was a study and it said, people find the word moist disgusting and then every now and then I would meet someone and you'd say moist or something like that. And they'd go, ooh, I hate that word. And that's actually not true. You don't hate that word. Because the actual experiment was the word moist coupled with something becomes the most disgusting word in the English language. Uh, but coupled with other words, it was not. So when they said moist wound, people were really grossed out. When they said moist cake, no one minded at all. So it wasn't the word moist. It was the addition of moist to something else that made it stronger. So the wound felt grosser because of the word moist, but the cake actually felt more delicious because of the addition of the word moist. Now that's a bit of a simplification, but I've actually run across actual human beings who've said they hate the word moist. And in my head, I'm like, that's not true. You read the title of an article and extrapolated it as being the truth and now actually believe it where people are saying Microsoft ran a four-day work week and it was really successful their productivity went up 40% that therefore must be true across the board and that's just not how that works so i am not against a four-day work week in fact i think i would be very pro four-day work week but i just don't want everyone to go around believing things that are not true skepticism has value and then i read another study this week And it implied very heavily people who play games such as card games and board games were more likely to stay mentally sharp in later life. Now the study was primarily based on those who played non-digital games and they scored better on memory and thinking tests when they were in their 70s. And I have a lot of issues with this because this implies if you play card and board games in the long term you'll actually have better memory. But video games are a relatively new invention compared to card and board games. So if you're testing people in their 70s, I would actually bet that people in their 70s now don't play very many video games. My parents are in their 70s and 80s. They have never played a video game in any real way. So the control group, I believe, is probably very small. And that is a major flaw in this. So what you need is a control group who from birth play basically nothing but digital games and a control group that plays nothing but board and card games, which would be a very boring life for those people. I'm sorry, science sometimes requires sacrifice. And then when they get to their 70s, do some sort of memory test and you can get a better result. But it seems like the pool of people they'd be pulling from now, primarily most of them would not have played video games in any real way. I know older people do. I'm a little older myself and I play video games, but I grew up with them. So people older than me, actually a lot of them have never touched a video game in any real way. Now, does that mean that the result is not correct? No, but it also means you should have a healthy dose of skepticism when reading about this. Board games and card games uh, equate to better memory long-term. I don't think that's actually been proven out by this. Because the very nature of digital games is they're changing rapidly right now. So when you get an established format long term from birth to 70 years old, then you can test memory and then you can get more accurate results. So This is the kind of thing that I try to be very aware of when I read studies is where are the flaws in the internet article about the study. Often I try to go find the study, but I mean, to be honest, a lot of them are very labor intensive to read. Uh, They're very dry, very boring. So they're not a lot of fun. Uh, So I'll read kind of bits of them and try to find out like what their control group was. Did they have a control group? That kind of stuff. I did not read the Microsoft study, to be honest. I did go back and find the actual source for the word moist. And I just looked at the criteria for the card game and board game study and realized that there were some significant flaws if you're only testing people in their 70s. Now, the idea is that later in life is what you want to test. Well, that's great, but that means people later in life in their 70s now, again, there were certain factors that led them to play more card and board games. And that doesn't mean it improved or diminished their memory. Maybe those same people, if they'd played video games their whole life, actually would have way better memory Maybe it would be terrible. Maybe it would be trashed. I don't know. But neither do they, because it was never studied. Core question, why does Canada rarely appear in the news in America? Does anything bad happen in Canada? Uh, there's a couple of pretty lame jokes I came up with right away after reading this. The first answer is no, nothing bad happens in Canada. But then I think the real answer is, you have to actually care about something to notice it. And Americans don't care about Canada as a country, so they don't report on it. Uh, This bias is not unique. So living in Japan, I now watch a lot of Japanese news, and they only report on international events if there is a Japanese person involved. So let's say there's a disaster in another country. Most of the time, it will get zero coverage. But if there are two Japanese people, maybe like they were tourists or something, who are involved in this disaster, then it will get some coverage. And that's one of the things you need to realize about news. The people writing or creating the news only write or create news that they care about. So if they're American, they probably only care about America primarily. They might look to Canada if there's something that relates to America or if it's something that they can make fun of. But still, at the end of the day, news sources are actually self-interested, just like everything else in the world, which is why you can't trust the news. So I created a Steven Seagal drinking game. This will be available to you uh, when I post this episode. You can go to Velocipeter.com and there will be a link to a Google document. And in that Google document will be the rules for the Steven Seagal drinking game. Now, I'm going to explain it to you now. So if you can remember all this, go ahead. But it's actually all been typed up for you. So you don't have to worry about it. This, in my opinion, works best with movies that were produced post 2005. Because that is when the quality of his film reduced greatly. And he became the producer of almost every film he made. Now you have to call out when any of these things happen and the person who doesn't call it out, they have to drink. Now the drink is up to you. You can do shots of beer, you can do shots of liquor. I think shots of something hard, probably people will die. But these are the things you have to look for and then call out. So for one drink, the one drink penalty, if Steven Seagal's name comes up on the screen, such as writer, producer, director, star, gaffer, whatever, you have to call it out. And if someone doesn't call it out quick enough, they have to drink. If within the movie, in his dialogue, he talks about honor, someone has to drink. If he uses Japanese, now Steven Seagal's Japanese is very, very good. It's basically perfect. He lived in Japan for many years. He ran his own Aikido dojo. But that means every now and then in a film, he likes to show off a bit. And he does sort of adopt some really crap philosophy stuff. So if he speaks Japanese, he talks about honor, call it out someone doesn't call it out, they got to drink. If Steven Seagal wears yellow-tinted shooting glasses, or he wears dark sunglasses indoors, call it out, someone doesn't, they have to drink. If he's wearing body armor to hide his fat, if he wears a long coat to hide his fat, if he sits with his arms across his front to try to hide his fat, call that out, someone doesn't, they have to drink. If a new scene starts in the film, and Steven Seagal is already seated so he doesn't have to walk across the set, call it out, someone else has to drink. If before Steven Seagal fights, he puts his hands up like he's holding two tiny teacups, call it out, someone doesn't call it, they have to drink one drink. If he flips a man out of the way with seemingly no effort, or he does several slaps which incapacitates a man, call it out, someone doesn't call it out, one drink. If his opponent falls into an object and that object breaks, call it out. If someone doesn't call it out, they have to drink. Now we get into the big ones. This is the two-drink penalty. When you realize that Steven Seagal is not the main character of the movie, if you call it out first, everyone else has to have two drinks. If he has a ponytail in the film and you see it, you have to call it out. This is multiple times. So essentially every time you see his ponytail, you call it out. If someone doesn't call it out, they have to take two drinks. If he does some clearly made-up spiritual garbage, call it out. If he forms a relationship with a woman who's clearly would never be attracted to him in real life, call it out. If someone doesn't call it out, they have to take two drinks. But this is the big one. If Steven Seagal actually walks into frame, you have to call it out. If someone doesn't call it out, they have to take two drinks because that is the opposite of the scene starting and him already being seated. Now you have to have something like a full beer or something to chug. So this is a, this is an extra one. When Steven Seagal mumbles something, you can challenge another player to repeat what he said. If they cannot, they have to chug the drink of your choice. If they can, you have to chug the drink of their choice. Now there is a bonus round. If someone misses a cue above completely, you can challenge them to listen to the whole song. Girl, it's alright. If they take three shots, they can stop the song. Those are the rules for the Steven Seagal drinking game. Please be safe when drinking. Uh, Don't drink and drive unless it's only digital. And go get yourself a Steven Seagal movie and have a really good night. So two weeks ago, I was talking about Steven Seagal in not too glowing terms. That has set me down a bit of a rabbit hole. But as I was going down, down, down deep in the, the depths of Steven Seagal, I remembered something that Clearly, my brain had blocked out that I didn't want to remember. And that was that Steven Seagal made an album. Like most actors, he had his aspirations to do everything, uh, despite the fact he doesn't even have talent as an actor. He certainly only had fighting skills for a little while. He has zero talent as a singer, but by that time he had enough money, he could pay professionals to try to make him sound better which is the unfortunate reality of people having money, is you can hire people with actual talent to waste their time fulfilling your desires. and makes communism look really good. So the song, at least the most famous song, I guess you could call it that. Maybe it was the one that was released off the album. I don't know if there's actually a full album. I've only heard this one song. And it's called Girl, It's All Right. And I wonder primarily from the lyrics of the song, What is All Right. Stephen doesn't really sing in the song so much as long talk. Uh, so he's saying the lyrics, and he's saying it in sort of a sing-songy way, but of course he has no range, so he's just sort of whisper-singing the lyrics. Well, I to say, now I have and he has professionals in the background who do sound like they can sing properly, Uh, to make it sound like more is going on than it is. But the first thing I want you to notice, the hip-hop scratch that seems to be taking the place of a a regular beat. And And maybe this was cool? So you have someone with actual mixing ability, maybe real talent who can scratch records, and he's being forced to do this over and over again. Because I know in reality what happened is was they just went do do once. They just did the scratch once and then they just looped it. But my image is in a live performance. I don't know if this was ever performed live. I don't know if he ever got that far. I imagine Steven Seagal set up his own concert, maybe even a small tour, uh, that no one showed up to, and then he realized maybe this wasn't the best idea. Someone live, and again, Realistically, it was probably pre-recorded, is what they played music-wise uh, while he was live in concert. But if you were a Puritan, you would have had an actual DJ up there doing this and I- regularly for the whole three-minute song, and that has to be one of the saddest existences I can think of. If you go back to one of the earliest episodes of the podcast, I actually took some time and talked about professional musicians having to do music for English language textbooks. So they had to write and sing songs about like present progressive and stuff. This is on par with that. Being in the band for Steven Seagal has to be a very painful way to make a living. Because you had dreams about being famous, dreams about being good, and you probably are good, so you're a professional musician, but you've been hired by Steven Seagal and you're not rich enough to say no. And that's pretty much everyone in this video, I assume, that's what happened to them. They're good, but they're not so good that they've broken out, so they have to actually accept money, and this is some dirty money coming from Steven Seagal. So then we have to get into a sort of analysis of the lyrics. And the only problem is that, to me, the lyrics are connected with the video. And in the video, Steven Seagal seems to be mooching on a disturbingly young woman, significantly younger than himself, inappropriately so. And I've noticed in a couple of his films when he got into his 50s, the heroine or the love interest was also inappropriately young who would be disgusted by Steven Seagal coming on to them. And that's not so much about age as it is he's gross. So let's just be clear about that. So when he says, girl, it's all right by me. Girl, it's all right by me. It's never clarified as what is all right by him. I did like that it's it's all girl. It's all right. It suddenly becomes it's all right by me. So in the song, he's actually saying it's about him. He's accepting it. Whereas the title of the song makes it seem like it's about the girl. But uh, either way, the it's all right part, I found a little disturbing, coupled with the imagery of the video. Because if it's all right, and it's what I think it is, it's not all right. It's not all right for him to be doing this or encouraging her to do it. That sounds like what he's doing. Then we get into a very unique piece of of lyricism, so we're going to play that right now. So what he has just said is that if he dies, he will come back and haunt her, or. His zombie corpse will come back. And that's supposed to be somehow romantic. And I guess to Steven Seagal, being an obsessive stalker is kind of romantic. Because I can see that being true. Now, you can go on YouTube and listen to the whole song. It's three minutes and some. But I would not recommend it. You've probably gotten the main part of it from this little summary here. And if I was going to do a review, it's awful. I mean, the music itself is weak and uninspired. Uh, done by professionals. I mean, it sounds like it's done well. It's just no one cared about what they were doing. I'm actually in my head betting that Steven Seagal did write these lyrics, but then I wonder if he's smart enough to put down lyrics well enough to match a song. So I'm betting he sort of half wrote the lyrics because I did find all the lyrics were very complimentary about him and no one else, which does seem very Steven Seagal-ish. But if I can make a recommendation... If you have the opportunity to not hear the song Girl It's All Right by Steven Seagal, I would 100% endorse you taking that opportunity to miss listening to that song. The Loss of, the Loss of, the Loss of, the Loss of, the Loss of Podcast. The Loss of Podcast. Hey, sexy friend. He's making me his bitch. Thank you for listening. If you have questions or comments, you can tweet at Velocipeter or email velocipodcast at gmail.com. You can find the podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, Acast, or go to velocitypeter.com slash podcast. Like he's holding two tiny key teak.